and let's pray together. Hey, Father, thank you so much for the worship that we have experienced for this wonderful song that Teresa and Robin have brought to us. Thank you that your grace and your strength is perfect and it is sufficient always. And God, as we journey through your word today, I'm really asking God, Holy Spirit, I'm going to be specific. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to move through our congregation today and speak to our hearts. I'm asking you to get a hold of our hearts. And I'm asking you to embed this truth into our hearts, not for the purpose of knowledge, but for the purpose of life change. So God, I am asking, do your sweet and wonderful work uh, in your word today. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Good morning. Are you glad to be at Dorisville? We are glad you are here. What a wonderful congregation. Thanks for coming. In spite of our snow showers, y'all are here. And I'm really praying God will do a great work in our life today. Well, this is the last week of our 1090 um, series this month. And the last day for the great adventure. Saddle up your horses. And speaking of great adventures, tonight... We have a very special service lined up, and that is we have our Sing and Praise Night, and I'm very excited about it, and we've got a full docket of folks who are going to come and just share uh, the Word of God through song and ministry in different ways, and I hope you'll come. And then tonight, being special, we're also going to have a fellowship afterwards, and our deacons and their wives are going to serve us, and that's going to be a great time. If you want to bring a finger food, that would really help. The deacons' wives are bringing them, but we really need more than that. I hope you'll come. And we started doing this because we understand that fellowship is important. And we've heard often, well, other churches do this. And so I said to myself, I said, hey, on the fifth Sunday of the month, we're going to try to do this. Happens four times a year. And it starts right off with January. And we're excited. Now, to make it even more special is this. We have the singing deacons back. Now, I know some of y'all didn't hear them last time. But these folks have become, these men have become world Renowned. I wanted to give you a teaser of what they sound like. I was able to sneak into their secret practice and record them practicing. So if the sound booth is ready, here is that recording. Maybe not. <laughs> Perhaps that was the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. I don't know. But anyway, I promise you it will bless your heart as these men stand up tonight and sing. And men, by the way, in case you want to know, um, we're singing Holy, Holy, Holy and Saved. That's the two we're going to sing tonight. So uh, in case you want to know what you're going to do when you get here tonight, uh, that's what kind of what I've got in my mind anyway. Okay, so anyway, so we're 1090ing. We're finishing. We're taking this 10% at the front end of our year and how we can prepare for the 90% that remains. And today we want to talk about three simple life-changing things. Now, I try to keep track of what I preach and when. I know back in 2016, I probably mentioned this scripture a couple of times, but back in November of, of 2015, I preached the message on this. So I want you to know I'm acutely aware of that. But this is one of those scriptures that really spoke to my heart and has still impacted part of me in my prayer life and different areas of my life. And so three simple things that really can make a difference in our lives. Now, how many of you have recently, oh, in the last year, gone to the doctor? 
Yeah, and you notice most of them are women because men do not go to the doctor. Have you figured that out? You know, honey, you need to go to the doctor. No, I'm not going to the doctor. Well, I recently went to the doctor, and it confirmed things that I already knew. Regardless of what you go to the doctor for, you could go with a hangnail, you could go with a major heart attack, um, you could go with the flu, you could go just for any variety of reasons, and you check in there at the thing, and you walk back in the back, and the first thing you want to do is get you on the scale. I mean, I'm, I'm going, okay, last time I went, you know, is for Shots for Africa. And I said, okay, so what does my weight have to do with Shots for Africa? And frankly, I didn't want to get on the scale because I knew the scale was going to tell me something I didn't want to know. And I'm not by myself. My friend Jeremy felt the same way. But these doctors, they always want to weigh you. So you get in there, and sure enough, sure enough, one thing led to another. And I had the blood work, and, and things weren't very good. And so the answer is almost always the same. Now, not always, but it goes something like this. Dwayne, your life would be better, and you would be healthier if you eat right, exercise, and lose weight. Can I have a witness here? Isn't that how it normally goes? Dwayne, you'll be better. Listen, you'll, you'll just do a, you'll feel better. Hey, this might take care of that if you eat right, exercise, and lose weight. And the crazy thing is, they're right. They're right. You know, if you go in there and, and you're sluggish, you don't have any energy, you're diabetic, you're having heart issues, you've got blood pressure issues. You know, in America, you know, if you'll eat right and exercise, and, and by the way, if you exercise and eat right, you're going to... Lose weight. It's a natural consequence. Now, ordinarily, here's how that plays out. It plays out why you're sitting there listening to the doctor, and you lie to the doctor. Okay, let's just be honest. Badness or not, Christian or not, we lie to the doctor. So the doctor says, well, your sugar's up, or your, you know, your hypertension's not good, your high blood pressure, blah, 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 and we're nodding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then it goes something like this. You know, now you know you need to eat right. Oh, yes, I know I do. Yes, okay. I got, I got that. Yeah, and you probably ought to exercise. Okay, yeah, I got that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you need to lose weight, and that will help you do that. If you do the first two, you'll do the third. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, and you're sitting there going, ain't no way. I'm not going to. Listen, I, you go buy Burger King on the way home and order a double Whopper. You have no intention of eating right. And then, and then you, you, know, you exercise, you get up, and you put on your shorts and say, that's my exercise for the day. It doesn't work. You know, now sometimes though there's a crisis. Sometimes they really get your attention. You know, they say like a test results like you really, you know, your your blood pressure is in dangerous zone. Your sugar's in, and it's nothing like a crisis to get you serious, at least for the moment. So you leave and you get the attention, and you eat right for a week or two. You exercise for a week or two, and you feel just a little bit better. And then you quit all that again, and you're back where you started. It's amazing how that crisis helps, but usually not for long. It just takes that, that click in your head that says, wait a minute, I'm not going to see my grandchildren. I need to do something. Now, did you know that, that all that, that was not just a story to tell a story, that that's kind of true with the Word of God. It's kind of true with these three things that Paul gives us. And they're simple. He tells us that we should be joyful always, that we should be prayerful always, And when you do those first two, chances are you're going to be thankful always. 
Three things, just like what the doctor tells you with diet, exercise, and weight, Paul gives us three things that if we do these things, it can radically change the way that we live. And I mean that in this physical realm, but also in the spiritual realm. Now, here's the deal. Most of the time, when God gets our intention, it involves a crisis. Just like the doctor gets our attention when he says, you're going to die if you don't do something. Often a crisis comes in our life and there's nothing like a crisis to get our attention with God. Oh, oh God. And it's called foxhole religion. Call it what you want to. But you near, you, know, you almost have a wreck. You almost die. You have a heart attack or something. And you are ready to serve God in Africa forever. But for how long? How long? Now, I hope you follow this. There, I want to I track on two perspectives today. Overarching in this message about uh, being joyful and prayerful and thankful are two perspectives, two paths, two lines. Imagine over here, we have a line. And then in front of this line, there's a little box building, and there's a person in there, and it says ticket booth. Ticket booth. And when you get up to the ticket booth, you realize it's the place where you get your ticket punched for heaven. And so you get your ticket punched, and you get out of line. And you hold on to your ticket, and every once in a while, just to make sure, you get back in the line and go through a line again and get your ticket revalidated or reaffirmed. And that lifestyle, that perspective, is based on a date in history. In other words, when I was 7, when I was 12, when I was 19, 7 years ago, 4 years ago, 2 months ago, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and you're trusting in, and that's fine, you're trusting that date in history. However, if you use a date in history to impact your present, you're going to find out something. You're not very joyful, and you're not very prayerful, and frankly, you're not very thankful. Now, when a crisis comes, loved one dies, heart attack, you check your ticket and you go, I can go back and I remember a day. And that's cool. You're saved. You're saved. You're cool. You go back and say, God, I thank you for the cross. Amen. Amen. But the truth is a date in history really does not impact your future. A date in history does not really impact your future, your present, your now. Well, what does, Dwayne? The same thing that impacted the guys in the first century church. They were there for the cross. But when they saw Jesus die on the cross, they thought it was game over. They scattered light like hens. But something happened on Sunday morning that changed them and their perspective forever. Can anybody guess what it was? Jesus got up. The cross, so hugely important. They didn't understand all the ramifications then. They would later. And looking back, we do. We love the cross. But these men were impacted by the fact that they saw Jesus die. And on the third day, they saw him resurrect. He got up. And it changed everything. They were willing to die for this Jesus. Yes, because he died on the cross. 
But by getting up on the third day, they proved he was not just a good teacher. He was not just a miracle worker. He was no man. He was the Son of God. Anyone who can predict their death and resurrection and pull it off, guess what? You go with that. You go with that. And so these men got into a different line. They got into the tomb line, not the ticket line, the tomb line. And every day they looked back on what they saw and they said, we saw him dead and we saw him alive. We saw him dead and we saw him alive. We saw him dead and we saw him alive. And they could not get over it. They couldn't get over to the point that one Judas was a betrayer and he was out of the mix. But every one of the rest of the disciples died martyr's death besides John who was exiled to Patmos and died of old age in exile. It's incredible. It's incredible. They did not rest their faith on a date in history. They rested on the fact that there's a God who's active and present in your life right now. Right now. And that's what happens with these three. See, when you have the ticket, you know, the Beatles sing a song. And actually, I don't remember from the Beatles. I remember from the Carpenters. But in the Beatles song, it said, she's got a ticket to ride, and she don't care. And if you, I'm telling you, if you base your faith on a date and past, and that's how you live, you'll have a ticket to ride. But day by day, God is not in your picture like He ought to be. You may get up and come to church on Sunday morning. You may even get up and come to Sunday school. But the bottom line, the decisions and perspectives and worldviews you have are yours and yours alone. Because you've got your ticket to ride, but God is not in your picture. You've got a ticket to ride, but you don't care. So I want to look at these three perspectives individually. Hopefully we'll get through them. Look at these three perspectives and how can they change our life. Now, again, they're so short. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, here's what Paul says. I mean, these are so simple and so short. These are things we should be able to burn into our heart. And the verse says this, rejoice always. Rejoice always. And yes, you could, and some translations may have it. Be joyful always. Now, we get the joyful part. You know, we got a brand new baby here. This week, a, a family had two babies in, in the family. We get the rejoicing part. But what's strange is, is when you couple that with always. I mean, all right, so, so a baby's born. We rejoice. Then the baby has trouble, and we find out it's difficult to rejoice always. It's a strange mix. It's a strange duet that God calls us to. You, you have a job and you get a promotion. We rejoice. But then two months later, you get a pink slip. Rejoice always. It's difficult. It's difficult. It's, it's a strange duet that God calls us to. Not just to rejoice, but to rejoice always. To rejoice in everything. How many of y'all have seen the movie Beauty and the Beast? Get ready, it's coming back out. In March, the live version's coming out. If you've got a granddaughter or if you've got a grandson, get ready, Grandma and Grandpa, because you're going to see Beauty and the Beast. And when you see that, at the very beginning, you see this, this hideous beast and who dares to love beautiful Belle. And Belle, at first, is repulsed. And you say, well, that's the way it ought to be. Who is he to dare love her? And she should be repulsed. 
But the movie progresses and progresses and progresses. And before long, they're in the ballroom. And this hideous beast is dancing with Belle, the beautiful girl. And frankly, he loves her. And now she loves him. Rejoicing and always don't seem. One sees beauty and one sees beast. And it's awful easy for them to see never coming together. But by God's amazing grace and understanding who Christ is, those two can come together. One commentary compared it to a, a beautiful song in, in a minor key. And I wouldn't know a minor key if you introduced it to me. I don't know. So what did I do? I googled it. I said, popular songs in a minor key. And there's a song that the animals sang that all of us of our age and a lot of even the teenagers will recognize the tune to it, The House of the Rising Sun. And that's, that's said, now I'm just telling you, don't come up and say, well, it's not written in a minor key. It just said it was. And I wouldn't dare sing House of the Rising Sun, but, but Dave Nave led us in worship one night and sang, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wrench like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but now I see. It has kind of a haunting melody to it. It's, it's, it's beautiful, but it's in a minor. That's how rejoice always is. It's a strange mixture that God makes beautiful by His sovereignty and by His amazing grace. Now, the church at Thessalonica was acutely aware of this. Okay? They understood exactly. When Paul said rejoice always, they got it. Let me read to you 1 Thessalonians 1.6. Listen to this. And you became, talking about the church at Thessalonica, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, Paul says. You imitated us and of the Lord. When in spite of severe persecution, they were a pure persecuted church. In spite of severe persecution, you welcomed, you embraced the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. The church at Thessalonica, even though they were under great persecution, welcomed the message of the gospel and welcomed the message of living out that gospel. Now, this is foreign to us. But we recently got a very clear picture, picture from our friends in Central Asia. When a couple, a Muslim couple, had placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and they embraced that joyfully in a culture that would punish them. And they now have been forced to leave that country because of death threats on their life. They could have stayed and renounced Christ, but rather joyfully they embraced Christ, even though it cost them their home. How does that happen? How does it happen that we reach that point? I think probably the best thing we can do is look at Jesus. You know, Jesus, now keep in mind, because the first thing we want to do with Jesus is say, oh yeah, he's the son of God. He, he got this. Don't forget, yes, he was 100% God, but do not forget in a mystic, wonderful way, he was 100% person. He was man. He was human. So what I read to you now, embrace with the idea that he was, yes, God, but he, was, he had a human nature also. Here's what it said. In Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus... 
keeping your eye fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So how did Jesus do it? Did he have a magic pill? No. He he did the same thing we need to learn to do. When we're asked to rejoice always, when rejoice and this always is in conflict, when it's difficult, when it's hard, we do what Jesus did. When Jesus was facing the cross, and the cross to him meant two things. It meant human suffering beyond anything anyone in this room can imagine. It was the most horrible death possible. But it also meant that when he hung on that cross, the father was going to turn his back on his son. He was going to cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was going to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So how can Jesus the human endure such human suffering and Jesus the son of God endure such spiritual death? How can this be? He looked beyond the cross. He looked beyond the pain. He looked beyond the suffering to the joy that was set before him. And what was the joy set before him? After his resurrection, he was going to ascend back to the Father and receive his throne once again. If we could learn, listen, if we could learn in this life to understand this is not all there is. There is a better place coming. And the more of the reality of that, the stronger your joy will be in difficult situations. But as long as we have our ticket punch and we live that way, we may be forced to admit at the funeral home, well, they're in a better place. But we'll have a hard time having joy with that. So God calls us in His sovereignty to trust Him. To trust Him. Him, even though it might be difficult. Again, imagine yourself at a funeral home. Imagine you have a ticket only. You you think of God on Sundays when you go to church, but frankly, He doesn't really impact your life beyond that. The preacher stands up and says, your loved one's in heaven, and you say, yeah, I agree with that. And you do. But imagine with me if you are rock solid in your faith and the sovereignty of God, trusting God, trusting God, depending on God, leaning on God. You are so solid in that. Add to that the fact that your loved one was too. That's why we go to some services and they're pure celebrations. And the reason they're pure celebrations, the deeper your relationship with Jesus, the deeper your joy in affliction. The deeper your relationship with Jesus, the deeper your joy and affliction. The easier the marriage of the two rejoice always becomes. And then, and by the way, this is the heaviest part of the message. And then on top of that, Paul says that's not all. He says there's more. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, in the New Christian, American, Holman Christian Standard Bible, it says this. And not only that, Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's something more than that. And not only that, but we also, here's our word, rejoice. We're also joyful in our afflictions. What? 
Paul says, wait a minute, that's not all. We're joyful in our afflictions. And look what he says. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. There is a side fruit of affliction. And that is joy. We can have joy in our affliction because affliction strengthens us. Now, how many of y'all at least once in a while go to the gym? Come on, raise your hands. Are you weightlifters? Yeah. No pain, no gain. You know this truth. You know this is true because you go to the gym and you don't go there and stand around with your little cute little outfit on and going, I'm just here for the outfit. You get up there and some of you guys honkering those, those weights and you push them up and down, push them up and down, and you push them till sweat's popping out on your forehead. You push them until you can't push them anymore. You know why? You know affliction produces endurance. Amen? You will be a stronger man, a stronger woman, and in particular, a stronger believer when you trust God through your afflictions. It's just a fact. And not only does that, and again, we can't spend much time here, we know that affliction produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. So if we would just embrace this first one, even if we blow off number two and number three, embrace this one, that God, I am willing to trust you, I am willing to be joyful in affliction because I know you're sovereign and you're my God and you know what's best and I will trust you. Jesus, I choose to follow you. It will change you. It will change your marriage. It will change your life. Students, it will change your relationship with your your parents. It changes. Hey, it will change us as a church. When we go through difficult times as a church, if we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, if we're not in the ticket line, a date in the past, but we're in the tomb line where every day we understand the reality, He's King, He's Lord, He's real. He's King, He's Lord, He's real. He's King, He's Lord, He's real. When we realize the reality of that, it changes our world. Then Paul goes on. Paul says, okay, secondly this. You are not only to rejoice always, but you are to pray without ceasing. Or you are to pray always. You are to pray always. Now, if there was an indicator of which line we are in, I think this would be it. Again, I told you, you know, as a pastor, as a young pastor... I was so busy. I was visiting hospitals and visiting nursing homes and visiting people and studying, doing all that stuff, that amazingly I found myself, and this is years and years ago, I want you to know that, I didn't have time for prayer. And it was not uncommon for me to hit Saturday night trying to study and going, hi, God, it's Dwayne, and I've been busy this week. Sorry we hadn't had a chance to talk. That's a bad place to be, guys. Bad place to be. However... So many of us sitting in this room and churches across America go one day, five days, seven days, uh, uh, four weeks, three months. And we may say grace at the table and we may whisper a prayer if there's a doctor's appointment or some kind of crisis. But in that, prayer is not a regular part of our lives. And yet Paul comes along and says, and these are all imperatives, by the way, not suggestions. Pray always. Pray always. Now, here's the deal. If you're to pray always, you say, Dwayne, how am I supposed to do anything else? Well, most prayer prayer is not even done on your knees. 
Most prayer is not done on your knees. I was driving back from Hardin County seeing one of our folks. And I decided to call somebody. And I called a person and said, hey, how are you doing? Da, 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 da. And we chatted for a while on the phone. I said, well, listen, let me pray for you. And I told her I was driving. And she said, don't close your eyes. I said, I'm on with I'm, I've got that one. Did you know you can pray while you're driving? See, see, what Paul is talking about here, it's an attitude. You know, pray, listen, listen, listen. Praying always, and could I compare it to seeking God's counsel, seeking God's wisdom, seeking God's will, those kind of things. Praying always is always depending on God. Listen, if you're, if you're in this line over here, the ticket line, that's not your mindset. Your mindset is, I will call God when I need Him. If I can handle it, if I can do it, we'll get by. Now, if there's a crisis, if there's a problem, if there's a really big want, I will jump, and we do this, I'll jump from that line all of a sudden to the tune line and say, hey, God, it's me and I need you. Okay? We need to be in total dependence on God. Not sometimes, all the time. Again, the guys back in the first century church who had that tomb approach, they did. They did. And things often didn't go well for them, but it did not impact their faith in God. So we are, to, we are to have this attitude of prayer. We are to walk in this world with an attitude of prayer. Okay? It shows our dependence on God. It acknowledges the presence of God in our life and the obedience of God in our lives. You know, when we have an attitude of prayer... When we talk to God, and you can say it out loud, you can say it in your heart. When you have that that attitude of prayer, you're declaring your dependence. Hey, God, I know you're real. I know you're there, and we need to talk. The presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. When somebody whispers in your ear and there's no one there, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It may be saying, don't or do or watch out. And sometimes he just says, I love you. I am convinced that God's... listen. I am, me, and, me and some preachers sometimes disagree in case you haven't figured it out. But I just happen to believe God sends love notes. I'm sorry, but, but when I'm in a hurry and I'm in a rush and maybe going to a surgery or whatever, and maybe I don't know what it is, but, but when there's that close parking spot, I don't think God's up there going, really, you think I did that for you? I think sometimes God sends love notes. And sometimes they look like green lights or red lights or, or flat tires. But God sends love notes. If you listen to the Holy Spirit, He'll whisper, I love you. I love you. I love you. And what does that result in? Obedience. When you have this dependence on God and you have this presence of God and you sense and feel that, it's a natural thing. You don't obey out of duty. You don't obey because God's going to zap you. You obey God because you love God. I told you the story about that silly book my... Well, don't say silly. This powerful book my, my wife wrote in. And she wrote all these things about how much she loved me. And I looked at her and said, Do you really mean this? Can a human being love me this much? And that pales. That pales. That pales to how much God loves His children. Oh, get enamored with the God of love. Now... One of the verses, again, we're watching our time. One of the verses that we're so familiar with that's so good, and yet we don't always do it. You know, I was so pleased with the song, and, and thank God for the song that Robin and, and Teresa did. 
You know, and she quoted, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. I said, and that's one of the ones I thought about. I said, that is so right. But again, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you're in this ticket line and your, your faith is really based on a date in history and only a date in history, you're going to find out that you don't really practice that verse because you don't really believe that verse. It's good to quote, boy, it sounds good. Well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But if your only thought of God is a date in history, the reality of that probably won't be very real to you. But if you're in the tomb line and you're trusting God through affliction and you're trusting God through difficulties and you're trusting God day by day and, and you, and you had this, this presence of His and this dependence of His, you're going to find something. You really believe that verse. And no matter how it works out, whether you sense that you failed, and this is last week's message, you know, from the, from the kids, you know, if, if you truly believe that, see, I still think y'all are 16, I can call you kids. See, so, so if you really believe that, you know, in our failures, God can use us. In our failures, God can use us. Well, here's this verse. And we all know this verse, and we go, yay for this verse, it's a good verse. Listen to it. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. I promise you, if you're in the ticket booth line, you worry about a lot of stuff. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, pray always. In everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Paul says, don't worry about this. God's got this. Instead, have this attitude of prayer as you journey through your day. You're whispering to the Father. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. Oh, that's too good for one amen. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. And if you understand the reality that this man who died on that cross, this man is alive today. He lives. He's King of kings. He's Lord of lords. And He is coming back. He is your Savior. He is your Redeemer. He's your healer. He's your great physician. If you understand who Jesus is, it will change your prayer life. You'll stop worrying and stop, start trusting. You'll stop worrying and start trusting. And he goes on and says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, is that a game changer for 2017 or what? What if you had the peace of God guarding your mind with all this, oh, how are we going to pay the bills? And what if the kids? And what if my child? And what if my marriage? And what if my husband? And what if my wife? Your mind's bombarded with that, which drains down to your heart, and it's bombarded. What if you had the peace of God guarding that? So that it surpasses, now watch this, and the peace of God which surpasses, how many thoughts? Every thought. In other words, when that junky thought comes into your brain, God's peace is greater than that junkie thought. When that critical spirit comes upon you from one of your friends, God's peace is greater than that critical spirit. When your husband doesn't affirm you, God's peace is greater than that lack of affirmation. Students, when you go and you say, I don't understand my mom and dad, they don't understand me, and I don't like my mom and dad, God's peace is greater than that. It's greater. So how would our life be different if we walk day by day praying always in an attitude of prayer? I'll tell you what, it'd be life-changing. It'd be life-changing. We get down to this last one. 
In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, the first part, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, notice what he does not say. He does not say, give thanks for all circumstances. Some circumstances are evil, and they're not from God. They may be allowed by God, but they're not from God. Rather, he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Well, well, Dwayne, how can I give thanks in all circumstances? There's two things you need to know. Regardless of the circumstance, someone say that with me. Regardless of the circumstance, He's with you. He's always with you. He will never leave you. And secondly, He'll bring good from it. He's always with you. He said in Hebrews, I promise to never leave you nor forsake you. And even the worst, worst of circumstances, the 828 principles apply. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God who are the called according to His purpose. We have the promise that He is with us and in some way He has the ability to bring good. He doesn't make all things good. Is the death of an eight-year-old child good? No. But can He bring good? Yes. Can the tragic death of a family be good? No. Can he bring good? Yes. When half the other part of the family that remains becomes Christ followers? Yes. When a missionary dies on the field, is that good? No. But when a hundred Muslims trust Christ, is that good? Yes. Are you following me? In everything, give thanks. Paul wrote in Romans 12, 12, Rejoice in hope. That's the tomb line. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Hope, hope, hope. Now, Psalm 106 is great. I need to write this one down. Psalm 106.1. The psalmist says this. Hallelujah. Everyone say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we don't say that enough as Baptists. Hallelujah. Now watch. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to to the Lord. And so the obvious question would be, why? Why? The first answer is this in, in the verse. For He is good. He is good. God is good. And all the time, God is good. And all the time, God is good. God is good. Now, God is good, period. He's not just good when He gives you your way. He's not just good when things go the way you want them to. God is good, period. If you're in the ticket line, if you're living your faith based on a date in history, chances are you're really going to wrestle with that. Because things come into your life and there ain't no way you're saying, how can God be good if God allowed this to happen? But if you're in that tomb line and you have that eternal perspective and you understand He's sovereign and He's eternal and He's live and He's all-knowing and He's powerful, guess what? You really believe that God is good. Lisa Turkist, and I'm probably not saying that last name correctly, but she's the, the founder of Proverbs 31 Ministries, a ladies' ministry, and she's a powerful teacher of the Word of God. And she kinda, I think she kind of coined the idea, the thought that God is good and he's good at being God. 
I like that. I like it a lot. God is good, and He is good at being God. You can't trust God. You can trust God. Let me say it one more time. You can trust God, and God is good. And then, and then Paul ends it with this. He says, and, and His faithful love. Okay, why, why should we thank God? God is good. His faithful love endures forever. His faithful love endures forever. Now, now, listen, listen, listen. When we fall flat on our face, His love is faithful. On our very best day as believers, His love is faithful. Now, listen. On our very worst day as believers, His love is faithful. Now, I know Brent agrees with me, and I know David agrees with me. You know why? Because we sing a song that says that, and he wouldn't sing a lie. His, this song says, you'll catch this one fast. Your love never fails, never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. It's higher than the mountains that I face, and it's stronger than the power of the grave, and it's constant in the trial and the change. This one thing remains. God's love is faithful. It won't fail. It won't run out. It won't give up. And it's greater than anything you We can be thankful because His presence and His love. Now, you'll wrestle that in the ticket line. But if you'll just take a journey with me back and go past Black Friday and go to Sunday morning and look in that tomb and see the cloth folded and then later on we'll advance just a little bit further and we're going to see the boys in a room and Jesus comes right through the door, right through the wall and says, you think I'm a ghost? Give me a piece of fish. And for 40 days, he walks around demonstrating his resurrection power. He ascends to the Father. And he says, don't give up yet because I'm coming back. I ain't done yet. I'm coming back. And as we know Jesus, yeah, yeah. If we know Jesus and we trust Jesus, if our faith is in Christ, he's coming back for us. So we can rejoice always. We can pray always. We can be thankful always. Now here's the icing on the cake. This is the gravy on the biscuit. This is the apple pie and the ice cream. Do you need another one or are we done? It kind of contradicts that lose weight diet thing. He says in the last part of verse 18, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So many times we say this. We say, if I knew the will of God, I would do it. Have those words come out of your mouth? I mean, if I really knew God wanted me to do something, I would do it. I prayed that prayer this week. If I really knew what God wanted me to do, I would do it. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And he's not just talking about thanks. Every commentary I read believes that the whole area. The will of God for His children, under the sound of my voice, and in every church in America and around this world, His will for you is to be joyful always. Not just be joyful, 
joyful always, to be prayerful always, to be thankful always. I'm, I've learned that cutesy sayings have gone out of vogue with preachers, but I came up with one, so I'm going to give it to you anyway. It sounds like a campaign slogan, but it's true. These three are my key to victory in 2017. These three are my key to victory in 2017. And I believe with all my heart. I believe it can change your marriage. Now, of course, I better pause right there and say, the ultimate change for your marriage and for your life and for your eternity is trusting Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. It starts there. It starts there. If you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we want to share that with you today. We'll have Brent down here in a minute, and the whole deal's about that. Come down and say, okay, okay, Dwayne said I need to ask about how Jesus can forgive my sins. How can I be in a relationship with God? And we will be glad to share that news with you. But for those of us who have made that decision, for those of us who have that date in history, all right, these three can change our marriage, our life, our careers, our perspectives, students' relationship with your parents, parents' relationship with your students, and yes, even this world and this church and our community. Would you be willing today to say, God, I trust you to rejoice always. I trust you to pray always. I trust you to be thankful always. The altar will be open. If you need to know more about Jesus, it's open. If you want to come and just pray and share with God this morning, it's open. If you have questions about decisions concerning baptism or church membership, recommitting your life, changing lines from the ticket to the tomb line, the altar is open this morning. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you so very much um, for allowing me to share these wonderful truths. And I do think they're wonderful truths. Father, I pray you'll rock our world. I know, Father, sometimes we go to the doctor and he rocks our world. And all of a sudden, eating right and exercising and losing weight sounds like a pretty good idea. And God, I want to pray that our world will be rocked enough to where we will, Father, get out of that ticket line, just, just having that date in history and move up to a, a living, vibrant relationship with a living Christ. Father, may we, may we be a people who rejoice, a people who pray, and a people who are thankful. Move in our hearts. Lead us down the right path to that end result. And we'll give you all the honor and glory and praise for it. And Jesus, I ask this in your name. Amen.